We are getting started. This is very exciting. As everybody knows, this is a special edition, extra special edition. This is a special edition on multiple levels. But uh, to start out, you know, this is Wednesday. It's St. Patrick's Day. It's a national holiday in Ireland. Um, so Luke is not working, but Luke is working, and Luke is here to work with us. Um, okay, good. Uh, we got some. We got some peeps in there. We got some peeps in the crowd already saying hello. That's nice. Um, so uh, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. It is very exciting to be here in number 35, meetup number 35 of the Data on Kubernetes community. Gorka, can we get the links on my screen just in case someone doesn't know where we are on Slack, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, we're in all these different places. You can see that I'm wearing some lovely Irish themed pajama pants. There's also a tweet that's gone out about that. We'll have to see what kind of pajama pants Luke is wearing later. Um, Luke is an extremely special guest in many senses of the word guest. Unfortunately, we're not physically in the same space sharing a pint of Guinness, but I have a feeling that by the end of 2021, or certainly by the end of 2022, that will be a reality. Luke is no stranger to danger. He was a diplomat for 15 years. He, uh, he's going to explain a little bit about that later. He had a fancy passport. I want to know what was in that fancy passport. I want to know what kind of, oh, oh just you know, by chance, has it here on his desk, ready to go at any point in time. Keeps the diplomatic passport <laughs> Anyway, Luke Feeney, Terminus DB, you've got a lot of talking to do, so I'm going to shut up. Luke, who are you? Hello. So uh, happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. I brought my uh, customary pint of Guinness with me. Uh, it's the first? This is the first the one? First, yeah, 4 p.m., okay. so I couldn't have really gone much earlier than this. Of course, all the public houses are closed here, so I, this is the best I'm going to be able to do for the day is have a pint of Guinness with the lovely uh, data on Kubernetes community. So um, I'm Luke Feeney. I'm from Terminus DB. We're a, an open source uh, graph database um, based out of Dublin, Ireland. Uh, and I'm really very happy to be here today. I have to say that this, um, you know, I, I've been relatively recently introduced to this community and it's fantastic. You have, um, you know, one of the best community organizers out there. And I'm, I'm in a bunch of these different communities. And um, it's rare that you get the kind of, you know, rap skills. <laughs> combined with data knowledge, combined with just endless big Lebowski quotes. And I don't really see what more you could ask for in a, a data on Kubernetes or any other community for that matter. <laughs> this is a good point. And I think this will be a bit of a challenge as to how many big Lebowski references we can get into a single meetup, oh, um, among other things. Okay, Luke. So the thing is, as a, uh, you, know, you have an interesting background. My background's a little bit atypical. Some people may be aware of it, may not be. Um, you know, I did not study technology. I don't believe you did either. What did you No, study? no, I'm not a technologist either, yeah. no. What did you no. study? So, yeah. So I studied philosophy in university. Okay. Um, so it was all animal house basically all the time. And then um, I went on to the international European relations. So I, I, I then um, was a, uh, applied to the Irish civil service and to the diplomatic service. Um, and spent 15 years in there, kind of worked in the embassies in South Africa and the embassy in Greece. Um, and my most recent job was I was the uh, head of the Irish government's Brexit communications unit. So coordinating and delivering the large scale communications campaign around the um, around the, the the Brexit negotiations and the aftermath thereof. So kind of you know, trying to put out the Irish government's position and uh, communicate that across all the noise that was coming from the UK on Brexit. 
And then um, I was approached by some people I knew. Um, my brother is the CEO. <laughs> you, you, were, you know him. You know yeah, him quite well. You know, yeah. And I knew his, his partner in crime is a guy called Gavin Mendel Gleason, who's our CTO. Hmm. And um, they uh, were researchers in Trinity College in Dublin uh, working on big data projects. And, they and did you did you study philosophy there as well? Yeah. Trinity College, which yeah. coincidentally, as we already spoke, my dad studied philosophy. Shout out to my dad. Uh, in Trinity College in 1975. Um, so perhaps that's why we're all here together now. But anyway, so you you got approached by your brother and Gavin and you're like, hey, I've I done like, communication. Why not? No. Yeah, I've done diplomacy. I know, I know nothing about this. I know but you're, but you're about obviously this, a person who likes a challenge. You're obviously a person who likes a challenge. I mean, what did you, what did your experience been with databases up until that point? Oh, zero, almost zero. So that's I, really I, cool. Um, and I think it's really cool that you're that upfront about it because why, why not? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it. I don't want to get asked any hard questions, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you can, uh, that being said, you can still ask any question you want in the chat. And if you can't answer it, uh, his brother, Kevin or Gavin can definitely take over. Later oh on. no, we can definitely answer them. I, I, you know, it, it's funny. I am, um, you know, like everything is kind of about people. You know, in this world, Agreed. it's about people and how they interact with things and how they use things and how they feel about using things. And, you know, diplomacy is like that as well. You know, it's all kind of everything is kind of sales, I suppose. Everything is kind of understanding what people need, what people want, how you can provide them what they want, understanding you know, how you fit into a broader ecosystem. And especially if you're selling enterprise software, I don't know if anybody out there, and I mean, Kubernetes obviously is a big one for enterprise engagements because it's becoming ever more pop popular with large enterprises, the way to deploy. Um, they, that there's always lots of, you know, Byzantine intricacy in understanding what an enterprise wants and how you can get something over the line uh, to sell to them, to meet all of the stakeholders' requirements, because you're never just selling to a single engineer or a single DevOps or anything like that, or even a single architect. You're always kind of selling to multi-layers within a business and trying to make them understand the value. And, you know, anybody who's a technologist will understand how difficult it is to really describe the value of something like Kubernetes to um, business people. You know, it's all just, uh, well, you know, we have computers that work, so let's just use the computers that work. And people are like, well, no, there's a better way and it'll do this. And you're trying to break things down into operational efficiency and, and, and really come at it from that angle. So I think like, you know, in technology, there's just a lot of transferable skills that are, are, are important about taking what we do and, and communicating that as effectively as possible to as broad range of people as possible so that they can understand and you know, if you can't do that, then it's um, there's no point. You know, I I um I, I don't know if people I, I'll post the link afterwards, but I'm a great uh, I go back to this blog by the guys from Rethink DB. Okay. Um, and they they've got a great blog about why Rethink failed. Um, mm. and it's really about that. It's about like fundamentally, it's about not understanding people and what people want, and they failed because Mongo outcompeted them. Um, and what Mongo did was, you know, made people heroes today. And that's what developers, that's what people want to be. It's like, hey, I want to get an application up, you know. I just want to get a load of JSON in here. Um, I don't want to have to mess around with lots of complex schema or anything else. I need an application that's going to run tomorrow. And I'll worry about longer term costs down the line. And I know that's, 
you know, that's sacrilege in many fronts and especially in our world where we're coming from knowledge graphs. Um, but there's a lot of truth there about like, you know, what people want and what people want to get from technology, even technologists. And, and I, I don't know, I'm sure everybody here has seen that great meme with the two bunny rabbits or bears um, and the, the one guy from the audience is, or the, the speaker is saying that, um, um, that, you know, he, he chose my sequel for these bunch of reasons and blah, blah, blah. And then the guy in the audience stands up, who's the other bunny rabbit and says that MongoDB is web scale. Um, and, uh, you know, sharding is the secret sauce that makes it web scale and says lots of things that are kind of obviously silly and is presented as a very naive technologist and web developer uh, to the sage uh, user of, um, of a relational database management system. Um, and I'm always sympathetic to the kind of charlatan in the audience, to be honest, because he's, you know, he's human and he's raw and he's real. You know, he might be a, he might be an animated bunny rabbit, but he's got a lot of humanity to him as well. Um, and I, I know that's not kind of the way it is, but you know, anybody who's trying to get a, a, an alternative no SQL database off the ground will see that there's a lot of resistance to kind of um, from, from very traditional relational thinking, SQL thinking. Uh, and that's been something that's kind of, you know, guided the way that I've thought about it and the way that I've come to, you know, feel about um, databases and database land. And it's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of psychology in there. There's a lot of like backend psychology. And everybody here will know that, you know, if it didn't get started, developed in 1975, then don't bother. Whereas you get front end, it's like, we got a new, we got a new, uh, you know, we got React. Now suddenly we got Svelte, you know, there's another thing tomorrow, you know, there's a new framework, let's go. Let's all adopt the new framework suddenly and we're on to the next thing. And Angular, whoa, let's go. Whereas it's like, no, no, if it's not Postgres, then I just don't want to know, you know, and there's a very different mentality around people developing a data technology from databases than people who are developing those front-end things. And, you know, I, you know and, and, and whether one thing is justified or not, it's just a very interesting division uh, that you see out there. Anyway, I've, I've digressed a little bit from where I started. That is one hell of a Guinness you're drinking. That's all I got to say. That is impressive. <laughs> um, that's impressive. And the thing is, I just got a tweet out saying the first and hopefully not the last time that someone mentions the big Lebowski Brexit rethink DB and the words Byzantine intricacy uh, within five minutes. <laughs> Trinity College Dublin, you should be proud of your graduates. This is incredible. <laughs> this is great. But seriously, I love the vision. And like... And being a diplomat, you have so many stakeholders doing communication for Brexit. You have lots of tension and you have lots of colliding worldviews, obviously. Um, and, but you still have to um, put yourself in somebody else's shoes, use empathy in terms of understanding where they're mm -hmm. coming from. And we've talked about this multiple times in, in these meetups about the you know, technolo you know, technology clashes are really maybe sometimes more about personality or about legacy or about comfort zones or like all these different things. And so as you said, the sort of the back-end psychology, that's a phrase that hasn't been used before that we'll definitely be using again, because we've had plenty of Postgres folks that have that are very adamant about it and say, look, it's battle-tested. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Another thing about Postgres, and this segues very nicely, is that you have a piece of news about Python that you would like to share on this oh-so-holy day of St. Patrick's? Absolutely. So as you know, St. Patrick chased all the snakes into the sea, and as such, Ireland has no snakes. Still today, well, we have some snakes you can bring around, but... Um, we uh, are launching our uh, Python client 1.0 today. 
So the Terminus DB Python client 1.0 is now live out there in the world. So get them while they're hot. Um, they won't last forever. So download your Python client so you can interact with Terminus DB from Python natively. Um, and, you know, uh, hopefully the Python, you know, and obviously St. Patrick chasing snakes into the sea and it being Python, it all came together beautifully uh, as a day. And I have a, a lovely graphic, which I'll post up afterwards of. Uh, oh, good. Well, yeah, our, speaking of graphics, yeah, we shouldn't detain you anymore. Jump right into your presentation. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah go I'll, for it. I'll, I'll whip them up. Like, as I was saying to you before we came on, that I'm always very conscious of people listening to the podcast. So um, I, uh, my presentation is only limited. Um, and, and, and I'll try and talk as much as possible and not rely on the slides too much. Yeah, we can always link the slides to it as well. No problem. Yeah, but like I, I still, it's not quite the same. I always find. So here we are, diplomatic answer to the meaning of data, Kubernetes, uh, and everything. Um, so here's, here's the announcement, as mentioned. So get the ThermosDB Python client 1.0 before St. Patty chases it away. Uh, happy St. Patrick's Day. You can see all those little Python-ish fellows running away from St. Patrick. This, this chap dressed up as St. Patrick is our, is our logo. Um, or our mascot, he's a cow and, and duck. Can I, just, can I just stop you there? That mascot, whose idea was that? Where did that come from? Yeah, so it's a cow duck. It's half cow, half duck. So uh, one of our, our Rust engineers, so we re-implemented our storage layer in Rust. Um, and when he was giving his first demonstration, he gave a story about um, a cow that liked a duck, but the duck didn't like the cow uh, in order to show some of the fundamentals of the database. Um, and that was born out of that, that we became a cow duck. It also kind of, you know, appeals to us because we're, you know, like GitHub, but for data, at least our, our SaaS offering uh, attempts to be that. And I'll talk more about that later. But um, it, they have the Octo Kitty uh, GitHub. And um, so they, again, have taken an octopus and mashed it together with the kitten. And we have taken a cow and mashed it together with a duck. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's it. Philosophy was not the only thing you studied in Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Anybody who's, you know, only waking up in the morning, you know, you haven't come back to the 1970s to talk about, you know, acid trips. This is, this is real life. <laughs> Bowling. <laughs> <laughs> so as we know, the answer to data Kubernetes and everything is, is 42. So, yeah. I was just going to, we kind of discussed it a little bit, but um, here's a photograph of me with the uh, president of Ireland. Uh, and this is back in my diplomatic life. We were actually on a visit, uh, a state visit to Croatia. Um, uh, uh, and here's another photograph of me visiting a refugee camp in Greece. So yeah, I spent 15 years, you know, working with politicians and working uh, with the diplomatic service. And I, you know, I really think that there's um, a lot of lessons um, you know, diplomats are peculiar public servants insofar as you're, you're thrown out into the wild a lot. You, um, you know, you arrive in a country like Greece and, and you're just told, you know, you know, especially when you come from a country like Ireland, where we don't have a very large international system. We don't have kind of, you know, embassies like you Americans might have where, you know, you might have 500 people working in the embassy. We have three diplomats and you get very little so you have to go and create your own network and create your own um structure and create your own ability to get your job done so it is and, and, and i think it's another reason i think it's another reason too when folks might say like luke what are you doing in a startup it's like well mm -hmm. what i was doing was precisely that 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you just kind of have to get it done, you know, and you just have to go out and build it. So there is a lot of crossover, I'd say, in inclination there. Um, and then um, I'll just talk a little bit about Thermos DB's history. Obviously, we're a spin out from, from Trinity College in Dublin. Um, and uh, back in kind of 2015, we begin because we win a, a big European wide. So we're, we're relatively new as a project and then ever newer as a company. We spun out in 2018. Um, uh, and so we launched our first open source database, which was just the server uh, in... Uh, October 2019, so just the query uh, engine, and then with the distributed storage layer in January of last year. So, you know, as a project and as a as an enterprise, we're relatively young and kind of, you know, trying to find our, our way in the world. Um, but we, we start in 2015, so we have a big advantage because we've got a lot of our theoretical development at least done uh, of the ideas when we were in university. Um, and we won this big Horizon 2020 Europe-wide project for 4 million euros. Horizon 2020 is the European Commission's research grant. Um, and they, uh, we were leading this consortium of research institutes and universities and some uh, private sector actors <laughs> to build the software behind something that Bart um, raised in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the chat earlier in, in, the, in the group uh, on Slack, uh, which was this SESHAT project. Which unbelievable, is, unbelievable. Which is yeah. a very ambitious project to bring together all of the political and social data sets from all of human history and provide them in a machine-readable format. Could we, could, could we ask which was the first? So it's actually a bunch of them, like there's nine selected. So based around various kind of traditional centers. So around like Rome and the, the things that came before there, around the power space and the, and the, the civilizations that came before there, um, a couple in the Middle East. Um, and then, you know, there's a whole bunch of them now that have come on board. Um, uh, but like, you know, it, it's grown to a lot of prominence recently. And, I, you know, people should check this out because there's a chap called Peter Churchin. He's a Russian-American academic and he's the academic lead of the project. And he, um, back in 2010, he made a bunch of predictions about a rise in political violence in the United States in 2020 and 2021. And um, so last year, he, you know, the Atlantic ran an article on him as kind of the oracle who called 2020. Now, he didn't call a pandemic or anything like that, but he did call, call that there was going to be a big rise in political violence and from well out from 10 years ago. And that was looking at this data. So doing like grand jury analysis of historical trends and then making a prediction off the back of that, that um, there was going to be a big uptick in political violence um, in the in the United States. And so we, you know, we, we we're building the, the technical architecture behind the data system and you know, we needed um, a solution that enabled uh, a, a collaboration from a highly distributed team, because look, you got all of these um, various civilizations around the world and people collecting data, and they're non-professional data scientists or, or curators that are bringing in this data. It's graduate students going to digs or going through universities and, um, and putting in the data. And so the, the data itself isn't particularly large. You know, it's large, but it's not particular. It's not like, you know, um, you know, IOT sensor data where you're getting billions and billions of, of, of data points and, and put it all together. So it's large, but not crazy large, but it is incredibly complex because it's information about populations, about carrying capacity, 
religious rituals, varieties of livestock, and, you know, whether there were cities, all of this sort of stuff. And then each one of those facts is scoped um, over the period of which it's likely to be true. So, uh, and, you know, of course, in the historical record, there's just a lot of uncertainty. Did the Indus Valley civilization start in, you know, 460 BC or 454 BC? Um, and, you know, a bunch of dis disputed points around that. So you have to be able to represent that uncertainty effectively uh, within the database. And we had um, within our, our, our schema the ability to, uh, you know, represent uncertainty, which allowed you to, you know, overcome garbage in, garbage out problems on analysis, where you could either, um, you know, exclude or keep uncertainty when you were doing any statistical analysis on the top. Um, so uh, we, you know, we had ranges with uncertainty bars at, at endpoints, basically. And so, you know, um, even for ground facts, you know, we were trying to understand where the provenance was coming from. So where is this ground fact from, from so people could look at it? Because there's a lot of, you know, fundamentally, the biggest problem here is that there's a lot of resistance from historians in any data-driven approach. Like that is absolutely the biggest problem and they will rip apart anything that is this because their world is based on narrative their world is based on i extract these points and from that i then say that this is the narrative that pertains to this and when you say no no i'm going to crunch a whole bunch of data and i'm going to tell you what the outputs are they're like no that that destroys their perception of how their profession works um, and, uh, you know, has a lot of kind of potential damage to their status. And well, just, yeah, is, it, is that also, a, you know, we can say even maybe a bit of job protection of seeing that as being a threat that all of a sudden Definitely. if Definitely. The machines can read all this and draw these conclusions, yeah. then... And, 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 I, I'm so, and I'm somebody that studied humanities and I understand that their budgets are always being cut. Um, yeah. and, and it's a tough call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially if it's, you know, data scientists or people that are historians trained as data scientists that are then picking up the thing because you then become irrelevant with your drawing out of a thematic from a kind of thing rather than just having a lot of data and seeing what shakes out or testing hypotheses against that data to see what is the most likely to be true. Um, and that we, I posted a link in the group um, uh, in the Slack earlier about this paper that was in Nature, um, which was about moralizing gods and um, complex societies. And there's been a big debate about whether moralizing gods came before uh, the emergence of complex societies. And the data here was able to show that no moralizing gods came after complex societies, which is very important for our kind of fundamental understanding of how human civilization, how human um, uh world comes about that we create moralizing gods after we have complex societies or do they come before and we bring them into them and but that was just you know you should go and have a look at the um the twitter it became just a war just an absolute war between historians about that and it, it feels like to us on the outside it feels like it's not that an important point but um to people on the inside of these things it's an enormously um uh, important point and um, so we we then were like, look, uh, we could implement this in a relational database. You know, it is possible to build a schema that complex, but it's going to be a really a difficult modeling task. It, there's, there's a richness of data and there's an extension of the, the taxonomy and the taxonomic information that made it look feel like using a knowledge graph, using something that, you know, was, was schema driven, was going to be um, 
more appropriate. Uh, and what we found then was that the RDFs, the you know the, the fundamental building block of our of our world is is RDF, the the resource description framework, and the tool chains there were were very limited. So uh, we tested out a bunch of databases while we we're still in university. We tried out um, Stardog. I don't know if anybody's heard of that, and Virtuoso, uh, which are two uh, prominent within that world. Uh, we really found them lacking in very substantial ways. So we decided to kind of roll our own. So we did a, a, a basic implementation rolling our own to manage the information um, and to act as a data quality layer really for what was coming in and to make sure that we were enforcing schematic controls at, at the point of entry. Um, and so, uh, you know, that went really well and we had a, you know, a functioning system um, we then you know, we realized that we had that was something that was commercially viable. Um, and we decided, sorry, I'll take a drink of Guinness to keep my throat wet. What a day this is, you know, drinking, uh, drinking pints of Guinness in the, on a, on a, on a, on a webinar. Um, so we, we, how it should be. It's how it should be. <laughs> it absolutely should <laughs> yeah. be. If only every day were like this, we then did a, a big commercial proof of concept when we were still in university with this company called Walters Kluwer. They're a Dutch-German multinational and they're big into this kind of technology. So they were willing to kind of give us a try. And in that case, what we did was we tried to, we, they had a subsidiary that, um, that uh, was the market leader for commercial intelligence in Poland. And they had a bunch of these, you know, incredibly dirty data feeds from, you know, these big old DB2 databases um, and that were messy and therefore their their schema was incredibly complicated and their agility was basically zero. And so if somebody came, you know, wanting any way off the, the reservation um, or off the beaten track uh, query, it was just very difficult for them to implement. So they they um, wanted to increase their agility so that they could they could sell um, uh, high value queries to their customers. Uh, and the sort of queries that they were interested in were things like, um, you know, uh, is this guy on a management board at the same time as being a trustee of the company? Or, um, you know, it, it, are there any circular shareholdings here? So this company, uh, company A owns company B, who owns company C, who owns company D, who owns company A, which is, you know, a good one for the money laundering because you can just move assets around between them and, so they were looking for those sorts of things because they're very high value queries. So a bunch of other ones like that, they, they gave us a set of queries which they were looking to implement. And we went and we tried to do it on Postgres at that point, but it was too slow. For the types of queries that we were trying to run, um, it was just too slow. So we, we then um, really invested in building out a full database. Uh, you know, on the back of this thing called HTT as the storage layer, which is, um, I think it's actually Spanish. I think it's a Spanish open link data project. Um, and we built it that the story layer, layer, but our own query engine. Uh, and that's the beginning of our query engine as it currently stands. Um, and um, we, you know, what we built was basically a version graph of the entire Polish economy back to 1990 or 1994, the fall of Warsaw Pact. So you're able to look uh, through time at how business networks formed um, you're able to query for all those things. You're able to do those traditional graph database queries that everybody likes, like shortest top. So, um, you know, how is BART related to Luke across eight hops? Um, and then see who the people are across those hops. 
and, and those sorts of things. So, so then we, you know, at that point, and you know, not to go into too much detail, we 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 spun out, um, and uh, you know, we've been thriving ever since. We've um, we uh, released the open source database then 2019, and again 2020, uh, and then all the way through the pandemic, we've just been trying to polish it up to make it uh, ever a little better. Um, I, I need you to stop right there, because Luke, it sounds like there are a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous in all of this. Yeah, to maintain the big Lebowski quotes. But on top of that is that did you by moving away from Postgres, I'm saying we we have Postgres folks in our community and we I would definitely like to continue this conversation on Slack. But what was it? You found that Postgres was too slow. I mean, it's no coincidence that Postgres is an elephant and you're a cow duck. So there's yeah. a, an agility test. So we're, we're in memory. And the, the important thing is in memory. So we use something called succinct data structures. So we try and uh, basically avoid blowing out cache as much as possible so that we can remain as fast as possible. And we use succinct data structures, which allows us to compress a, a, a lot of data into memory. Um, so like basically um, we approach the theoretic minimum size uh, that we can have that data and allow it to be queryable. Um, and that means that we can get a lot into memory. And obviously, if you have to go to, if you've got to go to main memory or, or, or anything else, it just slows you down by an order, order of magnitude. And we just weren't able to implement that on Postgres. Um, then, now, there have been people, you know, on, on Twitter and elsewhere who've told me that there are new magic things in Postgres that would have allowed us to do it, but they're relatively new, I think. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm sure the people in your community, especially the Postgres um, folk, um, they know very well that um, not only can Postgres manage your data, but it can also uh, give you a back rub uh, and make you a cup of tea. It's that, it's that agile. <laughs> All in one, it's good. Okay. <laughs> no. so... so anyway, we, we, we assessed it and it was this because we just had to have these very fast queries because you're doing these, you know, you, you have a multi-billion node graph and you're 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 trying to find your way across a path within it, um, at high speed. So you have to you have like, you know, unrestrained queries going across that to look for the pathway. And if that's not all held in memory, uh, it just it just becomes incredibly slow. And the heat death of the universe is just everywhere around. You know, um, you're getting, you're getting a call from a Postgres hitman who's going to take you, you out. Go. Exactly, <laughs> a Postgres hitman. I'll just put my phone on silent there so I, they they can stay away. But, anyway, um, keep going. They, um, they uh, yeah. So uh, that that's the big thing, and and like it is, it's something that people bring up with us a lot. That um, being in memory means that you have to scale with memory, and that you know once you're blowing out main memory, then your uh, or once you're blowing out RAM, your um, your your you know if your data is too big, it's just not going to fit. And our bet in general is that in memory is the coming thing and that memory um, is going to go the way of, of tape and it's going to become just much cheaper um, and that you're going to see these beefier machines. And like you have these machines with, with like a terabyte, uh, four terabytes of, of memory coming on stream. So, you know, you can fit a lot of data in there using, um, using, using Terminus. Like over a CSV, we get like 10x compression 
with our succinct memory succinct memory. So we, we kind of make things a lot smaller and that's kind of been our, our trick. So just to get now to the term of why we, um, you know, what we came out into the world then was um, we are a, uh, you know, a graph database and we want to go for large scale um, commercial implementations. And we're going to stay proprietary for the moment. Um, and we'll try and sell, sell you know, uh, large analytic solutions. And this is where we first bump up, bump into Kubernetes um, um, because we uh, go out to try and sell to banks because we're trying to sell on the back of um, sort of, um, you know, anti-money laundering, those sorts of query-oriented approaches where we can, you know, run those queries 15, 30% faster than, uh, and better than, than they currently have. And, and like we get a bit of traction that way um, and a bit of interest that way, but um, banks are a nightmare to sort of sell to when you're a tiny startup because they have so much compliance and you have to have ISOs and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, the data then they're very sensitive about it. A lot of them are still on-prem um, a lot of them have, you know, labyrinthine um, structures within them. So it's just a very difficult place to start. So actually where we saw some success was in, was in retail, was in um, building predictive analytic pipelines for, um, uh, for warehousing. So, you know, I have 30,000 SKUs, so stock keeping units. I want to predict, you know, how much I'm going to need on any one day. Uh, and I'd like to build a machine learning pipeline, sucks in all that data into a database like Terminus DB, and then um, you know uh, does a um, uh, does some sort of learning, and then does some sort of optimization to make sure the right things are going out at the right time, and then just surfaces that up to an operator to tell them what to buy on any particular day. And um, so you know that's quite well suited to us because we can do a lot of logical constraints into the database, so we can say. Um, you know, we can we can program the schema to say that, you know, this is the right size of pallets and, and that sort of stuff. But, you know, the people that we first engaged with there, and this will probably be of a lot of interest to people out there, you know, they're a, you know, an Irish supermarket. Um, so, you know, the edge of the world, right on the edge of Europe, about to fall into the Atlantic Ocean. And they're, they told us we want this on Kubernetes. You know, we want this deployed on Kubernetes. We've got a... Um, you know, we, we want it in, the, in AKS, the Azure Kubernetes service. They are a Microsoft customer. Um, like a lot of retailers don't like AWS because it's Amazon. Um, and they um, want it on their Kubernetes. And we're like, look, guys, you know, we could just spin this up on a VM, you know, just to be 100% honest with, with you guys. Um, uh, but they're very keen because they want to learn Kubernetes because I think it's as people in this Kubernetes, in this community will realize that Kubernetes is one. Um, and that people all over the place are interested in learning how to do deployments that way and looking for opportunities to do it. That's so, yes, it, right? It's, you know, sooner, the, sooner rather than later, it's going to become a thing. And the same that we were talking about, that it's not that every historian needs to become a data scientist, but it's not the future. It's the present of their industry. So that's, yeah. that's why I think a lot of these things like, yeah, you can fall in love with a technology or not, but, but really is that is, this is here to stay, like you said, it's yeah. one yeah, and I mean, and, and that's a great sign because it, I, I'm a big fan of the um, of the the crossing the chasm book. I, I don't know if people have read that, but it's a kind of seminal work on uh, technology adoption. And it, these are like you know laggards; these are late adopters. 
these aren't the cutting edge technologists who are jumping in with two feet. These are, you know, people that have, you know, so, so where we were sucking data from is a big like DB2 that's built that, you know, it's from like 1985 and stores all the information about things in the warehouse and is very, very messy. It has like thousands of, uh, of, of columns and all sorts of ridiculous names like, you know, AB3, four eight seven six and um, so you have to do a lot of data archaeology in order to even begin with these sorts of machine learning processes because you have to find the person that understands what the hell um these numbers in this row and column mean and um, so we you know so so like it, it's a great sign i would say that customers are asking for this and asking to be deployed that way so we we we, we were we're more than you know we, we we're believers as well so we definitely believe in um, data on kubernetes um, and we have a big deployment running there on a on a kubernetes on a small kubernetes cluster which is sucking in a lot of data i saw that i i started to read the um the reddit thread that you sent around earlier mm-hmm. and like we're definitely in that world you know we're we're pulling so so we you know we take diffs basically we take a diff of database every single day um, and it's massive, you know, it's a massive number of changes that take place across those 30,000 stock keeping units. And it's historical as well. So you can roll back to any point in the past because one of the features of Terminus DB is that it's immutable. So it, it, it stores all historical states of the database. So you can always roll back to any place in the past to see exactly what happened. But I think, you know, in touching on what you mentioned with that Reddit thread and we, we can link it or it's in our Slack if you want to take a look. And a lot, by extension as well, too, with the community is that until folks realize that there are other people in similar situations, a lot of times you just feel like, oh, well, you know, I'm not a big player in this. You know, we're not we're not really at that level. But once you realize that there are lots of other use cases going on, it's like, OK, this isn't so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, definitely not so crazy at all. Um, so, like, you know, I'll, maybe I'll just talk a little bit to what kind of what we're all about here insofar as why we did this, um, because Building a database is a terrible idea. It's to be avoided. <laughs> Insofar as it's it's just it's it's a painful bit of technology because zero is so high, you know. Um, you know, minimal viable product is a is a different sort of concept in a database startup because you can't, I mean, I suppose MongoDB did to a certain degree, but like today it feels like if you're not acid, um, you know, if you can't give those sorts of guarantees, then who's gonna use you? Like who wants a, a database that, you know, has memory leaks or, you know, forgets things or selectively forgets things or, you know, sometimes forgets things and sometimes remembers things. And that that means that like to get to zero from a from an engineering perspective is just a long way. Um, and, and therefore, while developers like to build developer tools, there's no doubt about it, getting to zero with the database um, that's, you know, acid and. Uh, can do some 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 cool stuff uh, is is a difficult task, um, and so like what we see out in the world is the way that people are collaborating on data uh, is very limited. So people are you know using structured unstructured data, they're distributing it in Excel's and CSVs by email and Slack. They're cleaning, reparsing, forecasting, and you get all this ridiculous version control. Um, and then you get people that are using Git. So we, you know, there, there, there's some good tools that are that are quite good for Git, but we don't really feel that Git is a good one. Um, what are they called? Um, DVC. 
And DVC is a great community, actually, and actually a good tool for people involved in machine learning that want to uh, run their code and their data along. But it's all built on Git. So it's, it, you know, it stores changes in lines of text. It doesn't scale built very well. Um, and it doesn't have structure or discoverability. You can't, you know, query it, which is a very important part of being a database. And then you have, you know, awkward databases um, that are centralized, that are, you know, relational databases and doesn't resolve changes to structure. Um, and, uh, you know, the truth is that the Git revolution it, it just has been just enormous. I mean, it's changed software engineering. It's changed the way people do. And the GitHub revolution that came afterwards as well. I mean, Git is a complex tool and, and GitHub definitely makes that easier. But all teams use source control like Git now. Um, and it just it, because it's distributed, uh, it allows you to have that provenance, the safety and the quality and distribution. It's just been a, a game changer for software engineering. And we need that. We need distributed collaboration for, for data. Um, and that's what we do. That, that's what we're, we're all about. And what we think a tool built for collaboration structured data should look like is that it should you know, have discoverability and, and, and schema. So easy retrieval and update programmatically, not just updating a monster CSV like some people do, just these massive CSVs that you use for your machine learning. You got typing and structured entities. So data cleaning and casting should not be constantly resolved. Um, and by marshalling things in and out and rebuilding. Um, and one of the cool things that we do with Terminus Hub because of our, um, of, our, of our data structures is that we can pass around kind of whole queryable databases across the internet for, for very limited amounts of, 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 of expense on our part because we are um, just passing around highly compressed memory cores. Um, so we're not actually doing a lot of compute in the cloud yet. Now we're going to launch a cloud service as it comes. But at the moment, all we're doing is passing around, um, you know, those highly compressed memory cores that people can then query on their local machine or their local cloud instance. And, and that just is a super efficient way of, um, of doing that communication collaboration. And then it's all based on diff. So I'm only passing around the diff of the database. So because we can, we can see exactly where the diffs are, we can, we can just pass around the new state of the database. And then having a schema, and we're great believers in schema, we pay attention to, um, you know, uh, to, 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 to schema migration. Um, and then because it's a database, it's scalable to, you know, database sizes. We give provenance. We do allow pipelining to, to work in there because we have a branching structure. So you can take a, a branch of the database and, uh, and change it in some way. And you can clone the database. Uh, you can roll back. And one of the things... You know, one of the things you see out in the world is that most of um, most of collaboration is kind of uh, the easy thing. It's just a single view. So it's like Google Docs and where you just get a single view and everybody works on it at the same time. Everything is like that. But we, we really want to have a kind of local first approach or a local uh, able approach where you could take everything offline, work on it, and then sync it back up once you're once you're happy with your changes. Um, so a much more like a Git like approach where you can take your coding offline and then sync back up later. Now that does get into problems around you know merge conflicts, and merge conflicts can be much more complex in data than they might be in, in code, um, because you might have very very large data sets. Um, but we kind of have some strategies for approaching that. And we're going to, you know, basically that's the task to work on forever. 
Um, so collaboration um, is, uh, is the main reason that we see people using CSVs and Excels um, because they, uh, machine learning and other people basically are, uh, people draw them down from uh, a data warehouse, they take out whatever they want and then they never put them back in. So you get a shadow data economy within a corporation whereby it's like, no, you know, I don't want to go and bother the cloud data warehouse engineers. I'm just going to keep working off this CSV. Um, in any case, this is the outputs of my, of my experimentation. So this is, this is the golden thing. And it becomes this kind of secondary economy. So you get this kind of clash between the flexibility of a CSV or, or, or similar and the, um, the centralized piece of the, of the, of the data warehouse. Um, uh, so, so wait a second now. Yeah, so this is Terminus CV now. Um, this is kind of what it looks like. We've got a, uh, you know, a database. You can see down the bottom there, any of the, um, of the listeners, you're just going to have to imagine this. Um, you can see all the commit history. So we have a full commit graph that allows you to see all the commit history exactly who'd made which change to the database and when. And you get an ID that comes that commit. Um, so you can manage all your database and understand exactly the lineage of who changed what. Um, you then can collaborate and share those across with your collaborators. You can clone and pull the databases from, from wherever you are. Um, and then you have these, these visual um, schema building tools or data model building tools that allow you to uh, build very, very complex data models. This is the data model for Seshat, which as you can manage is uh, very uh, complicated. Uh, and it's also available on Terminus Hub for free. So you can download the full Seshat database tomorrow or today, and you can start querying away on it. Um, so uh, then Terminus DB next, uh, we just announced that we raised um, uh, 3.6 million euros in investment. How much, did you, how much did you spend on Guinness? Oh, a lot, a lot. Actually, I bought a, I, I drank two bottles of champagne the night we, we, we closed. Um, so I, you know, that, that took out a big chunk of, you know, uh, so it, it was Mesopotamian champagne. It was Mesopotamian champagne. Exactly. You know, that was it. Uh, so we, we're, you know, we're, we're kind of now back into growth mode uh, and we're kind of looking to launch a live cloud service. So, you know, uh, and we're looking to kind of move more towards data mesh type implementations. Okay. I don't know, I don't know if people yeah. have been kind of following kind of data mesh developments. A second, I'm just going to, there is a great data mesh community. Just if anybody wants to check it out, they've uh, they've been featured in our community as well. And there's some great. I imagine Luke, you've heard of uh, Zamak Dehani. Yes, she's amazing. Um, yes, and I would love to have her on a meetup at some point. But her stuff is is absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah. So if anybody's interested in data mesh, uh, definitely start with Zamak Dehani. And anybody else you would recommend the data mesh space? No, no, no. It's still just emerging, you know. Um, so the, the community is good and it took off amazingly. I was amazed to see that there were sort of a thousand members within sort of a week or two weeks yeah. within their Slack. So it obviously resonates. And like the idea basically is, you know, both organizational and technological that you mm -hmm. would, you know, uh, organize your internal teams to be data product owners. That's and, it. And, and that's, that's one of the main things that I've got out of it is to know exactly who's in charge of what thing. And that, it, and, and the other thing about this though, is, well, I think it's kind of breaking down this notion that there are technological companies and non-technological companies. Rick Vasquez from Percona, shout out to Rick, said once, you know, that nowadays every company is a tech company and, yeah. and every university needs to be a technological university. As we were saying yeah. earlier about data science and history. Um, and so I think data mesh is, mm -hmm. 
is a very, very interesting concept that, like you said, puts that ownership, responsibility, visibility, and transparency in organizations so that it's no doubt about, well, who created this or where did this come from or how did this arrive here? Um, I think it's, uh, it's very powerful. So what, what's Terminus doing related to data mesh? Yeah. So like we want to allow organizations to be able to kind of, you know, provide that ownership to, um, you know, data domain owners. So then they're accountable, as you say, as kind of providing their, um, their data as products and distributing that. And then we also, you know, facilitate communication between distributed data across the different locations. And the big thing there is challenging the assumption um, that you've got to centralize big analytic data to use it efficiently. We think that like in a re remote first world, uh, decentralized solutions like our own. Just like for all the listeners, this is Guinness number two. Yep, that's Guinness good. Guinness number two. I have four down here, but I don't think I'm going to get through them all. We can extend that. We can do an after hours meetup and just talk about the thing we're asking. That's why. <laughs> Now, but anyway, but it's exciting to see that Terminus is is, is seeing the potential. In, yeah, because it's analogous, we think, to the kind of, you know, like like the way we think about ourselves is like is like Git a bit, you know? But the way you kind of think about this is that it's analogous to the microservices uh, revolution in code. So mm -hmm. all, rather than everything being managed as a big monolith in the center, you allow teams to kind of manage their own data. And it also means that you don't get it. One of the problems with with linked data and ontology-driven approaches like the world we come from with knowledge graphs is that people are, you know, they're, they're all architects and they all want to start off by building an enterprise-wide data model. And I don't know if anybody's worked in a place that has enterprise-wide data models is that it's, a, it's guaranteed to be a disaster. Never works because um, it just becomes a very bureaucratic process and it's never finished, it's never perfect. But it, 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 within a data mesh model, you can allow the definitions to bubble up. So your, your, your uh, vocabulary can remain within your team until it kind of clashes and has to become something that you agree on at a data council or, or, or some other structure like that. So you, you can have some more ambiguity around definitions within your team because, you know, different things are going to mean different things to to different groups but the but but but, but the problem at the moment is that the, the data engineers working on the data warehouse they don't have any clue about that mm. they don't know that you know the marketing team has a different definition of customer and that was my next and that was my next and that was my next point yeah it's uh what's the preferred nomenclature to use yeah. the, to the last yeah, exactly. game is that no but really is that and this is such a recurring conversation in our community is that we can talk about technology, but let's also talk about culture and empathy. Is that yeah. the marketing people need to understand that a, a data engineer isn't necessarily going to know what a CTA is or a CTR, you know, things like that. But then vice versa, is that okay? You're very much immersed in one, you know, terminological set, but it doesn't mean that everybody else is going to know that. So the more that we can educate each other, I think that's I think it's a really big part of it. I um, agree. I agree. And I kind of the idea would be that you'd have a bunch of terminus DBs that you'd manage your data in, and because we. You know, you could spin up a whole bunch, do different things, and then you'd be able to push and pull because we have the Git semantics on top. So you could push um, the data, uh, you know, when you have a new update of the data, you push it out to something central like a terminal sub, and then you're then any other team is able to interact it from there. So you have a bunch of data products across the enterprise that are provided by data, different data providers internally or externally, and then people can draw down from them for their analytics as they wish, but they're managed in a distributed way across them. Um, a whole bunch of, of different teams. Yep. 
Um, good. Now, other things that we had, you know, because you just mentioned this, this whole thing about, you know, you know, funding and, and things of that nature. And we have a yeah. quote here. Uh, we think Terminus DB has the potential to become the leading platform in the next generation of data architecture. How many yeah. bottles of champagne did Sander Volk from Volta Ventures have before he said that? <laughs> uh, I don't know how many people have worked in startups, especially startups around funding announcements, but you know, um, it's, it, it, it's, um, you know, it, like, like there's no doubt about it that the, this, that, that something like this. So I, I, I follow this guy called Bob Muglia quite closely and he's the former CEO of Snowflake. Okay. And obviously we, we, we like Snowflake a lot because obviously they're, um, you know, they, they created something new now. It's a, it's, a, it's a data warehouse, you know, and it's not something entirely new, but they moved into the cloud and they did it very effectively. And their um, data mart is, is, is a cool thing. You know, it's a really interesting way to approach how you would distribute data um, in, in a way across the internet. Like we think we have a lot of advantages over them because we just have a lot more flexibility in the way that we can share and collaborate on data. But we think they're, Kind of starting from a good place and an interesting place. Now they're obviously a massive company, mm. but Bob Muglia, who was the ousted CEO, so he was the technologist from Microsoft, who had been the CEO through their very rapid growth. But then Frank Slootman came along, and he's like the you know the IPO guy, and he came in and he he boasted the price and advanced the IPO, and you know managed and, and you know he was some, making something like fifty million a week on his options or something like that, yeah. something insane, you know. Anyway. But Bob Muglia then uh, has given a bunch of presentations recently about how, you know, how cloud data warehouses will dominate for this period and SQL will dominate for this period. But uh, relational knowledge graphs are really the coming thing. Uh, and if we look 10 years into the future, it will be that because SQL, for all its beauty, is running out of headroom. And, mm -hmm. and our query language is Wackle, uh, which is the web object query language, and it's based on data log, which is a very old um, uh, idea from kind of symbolic logic uh, from, from an earlier period of AI. So it's a prologue or it's a limited set of a prologue. And it, um, you know, it's just very expressive and very composable, especially as data becomes more complex. Uh, you just have to reach for those sorts of solutions if you want to query effectively. So we, we, we do see that something like us is going to be the future. Now, mm -hmm. whether we're good enough to pull that off is a totally different question, but we really do see that there's something like us. And there's guys like, you know, people in the community might have come across Kraken. And mm -hmm. um, they're also a kind of knowledge graph guys. They do hypergraphs, but they're, they're, they're based in, in, in England. So, you know, obviously being St. Patrick's Day, I'm going to have to kind of you know, look down on them a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Remind them of the, they the are good brave, guys. They, the brave they are good guys. Uh, Irish invasion, not invasion, but invasions of Canada that we spoke about in, <laughs> in, in Slack. But I think that but the thing is, but just because there's more than one, you know, actor in the scene, that's a good sign. You know, that means yeah. there's energy in this. That means there's action. That means there's stuff yeah. happening. So you're in a very dynamic space. And whether it goes one way or another, I think you're doing absolutely fantastic work. One thing as well, because we're, you know, we're talking about distributed systems. In terms of uh, Terminus DB's team, you're all in Ireland. Where are you? No, no, you've no, been, you've been remote first since the beginning, right? No, we, we started off being uh, just in, in in my brother's sitting room, in his living room. So we that's, were that's the Irish version of a Silicon Valley garage. That was exactly it. So we started off in his kitchen and, and living room, and we were all based here. But then, you know, it, 
you find good database engineers in funny places. So we, we, we find a, a really great um, Dutch engineer called Matthias. Um, and he's the guy with the cow duck guy. He's the rust engineer. Mm-hmm. And then he had a good pal of his is another engineer in the Netherlands. Um, and then we found a good guy in Germany and we just kind of spread like that. And, you know, uh, we're all in the European Union still, but um, we, we're now remote first, um, but only since kind of the beginning of the pandemic. And we'll try and keep it up. It's, it, it's hard remote first, though. I mean, it requires you to have a much greater management overhead than you might otherwise want as an early stage startup. And you have to think about things in more detail. You have to plan. You've got a lot more procedure you need to put in place if you want everybody to be productive and working together. That's and a that's big point because, kind of- you know, asynchronous communication is like such a big thing now. And it does simplify some things and it makes other things complicated. I think one of the things as well, too, once again, this recurring theme is that you do lose out on the human aspect. Like you can't have, you know, you can't go have lunch. Like, yeah, you can drink Guinness over a Zoom call, but um, that that only goes as far as it does. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And like, it's actually more the kind of just, you know, planning out people's work in more detail. And like, you know, otherwise you can be like, okay, we'll just have another two minute aside, two minute aside, two minute aside. And one of the things we, we use Discord mm-hmm. um, as, our, as our office, our virtual office, and it's great. Great, amazing. You know, we've really found it to be a, a game changer for us. And some of the things that are important there is the visibility into who's meeting. So you have voice rooms in Discord and you can just see who's having meetings at any one time. So you can drop in to say hi mm-hmm. and make a single point. So you get a lot of that kind of flexibility being able to drop in. But still, it's not the same. It's just not the same as being co-located and all working on the same thing. And I think I, I, my view is that for very successful startups, at least in the early stage, technical startups in particular, that having everybody co-located is still going to be very important, to, an important signal of early success. I think once you get larger and you're able to have that sort of overhead, then you can do a lot more with asynchronous and distributed. But I think um, early stage is just, it's just such a period of intensity uh, of development and delivery that it's hard to do it otherwise. Yeah, as well as going through those the very exciting rush of, of, of being able to work on something and build something. Um, in terms of uh, terms of other questions, if you had to relate yourself to one character from The Big Lebowski, or we can say would relate Terminus DB to one character from The Big Lebowski, who would it be? This is unscripted. <laughs> okay, so uh, Terminus DB abides. We can say that. Of course, of course. It's got to be the dude, man. He's Well... I don't know. For Terminus DB, um, you know, maybe Donnie. You know, we're out of our element, but we're not going away, you know. Now, Donnie obviously comes to a bad end, but, uh, uh, you know, Donnie's a cool guy. I, I like Donnie. Cool, and, you know, and he lives on. He becomes a distributed yeah, data mesh. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, through exactly. the uh, the ashes from the, the coffee yeah. can. He doesn't, know, he doesn't know about Vladimir Illich yet, Lenin, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, but he does. He does know I'm the walrus. <laughs> the walrus. So they don't focus on the things. Maybe they don't the know. nihilists. The yeah, nihilists. Yeah. They were good yeah. guys. I don't know. We could be nihilists. Um, Donnie also is like, the best. See, I, I'd Donnie... say MongoDB is probably more of a nihilist because you know it's got no schema, it's got no structure, no control. Mm. It's more MongoDB. I, I, I'd like to actually go through the full a movie and try and pin a database. That could be, that could be a fun exercise. And I think that's yeah. something we could do. We could do over Twitter. We could do it other ways. Yeah. Well, your man, um, the, the angry guy, what's the name of the character? Walter. Walter. Yeah. He's definitely, that's, um, that's Postgres. He's Postgres. <laughs> <laughs> 
it is also true going back to Donnie is that Donnie is the best bowler. Like I've obviously seen the movie way too many times, but in terms of like, you know, it's only in the last scene or the last part of the film where, oh, no spoilers, but uh, where he doesn't have, uh, you know, where his bowling game isn't on on top notch. But anyway. um, Who's Jesus is the real question. That's a very real question. Um, (laughs) Going door to door. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) In six months. (laughs) Anyway, it's true. Um, But also a phenomenal bowler. Um, yeah. So that, that's interesting. Yeah. And there is ego in the startup world and there is, you know, dominance and need for identity. Um, and then underneath someone might have a very dark past, but it's trying to reinvent themselves through their database. Anyway, we'll have to have that a conversation. Later. Yeah. I mean, um, I think there's so, a lot of really interesting conversations around that. Yeah. You know, around the whole way these worlds work, you know, but this is, and it's, it's nice to kind of finish with what we started is that when you mentioned the beginning, this back end psychology, um, I think that's a very strong lesson in all of this and don't get lost in, in the mud, you know, like what Walter says, I didn't watch my buddies die face down in the muck. Yeah. But like, don't get stuck in all the technical jargon and things like that. That's why I think your perspective is such a valuable one as a diplomat of wide, wide stakeholder map of understanding all the different factors that are coming into this. And so that's just in this conversation, we've talked about the Polish economy. Um, We didn't talk about, I imagine, the heated debates that there will be in Ireland, as I mentioned in Twitter, or I think it was in Slack, uh, about, you know, could a historical database decide which is the best hurling team in Irish history? Yeah, well, um, uh, subsequent to all of your, uh, to to one of your tweets, I have a WhatsApp group with a bunch of my pals from from school, and now they're they're calling me the Shermanator. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're welcome you're welcome uh, anyway like i said luke this was a fantastic conversation i don't think it's going to be the only one in 2021 i hope it isn't the only one in 2021 whether it's recorded or not um we may even have to think about doing some kind of a spin-off um but uh but anyway well, i i think we should try and combine together for a wrap i mean if anybody is listening and they haven't heard the uh, terminus tb uh git for data wrap um you know that's something that you definitely got to check out because we're we're definitely, you know, MongoDB make great rap musics, great make great make great rap videos. They've got a, a great um, uh, play on uh, on uh, deploying databases on a Friday night, which is a Shia, Shia song, um, and uh, we decided that we'd make a, a Git for Data rap as well. So we'll be continuing that tradition, uh, you know, and we'll continue to have more. So if there was a crossover rap that we could do. Um, oh, I mean, I, there is a crossover rap. There, there is. I mean, we can. There we can, is. We can I think really... we, it's got to be based on NASA's first album. We got to f- pull something from NASA's first album, Illmatic, oh, wow. and then we can do it. Oh, so we're, we're going for street cred simultaneously. We're not. Oh, going well, you see, I, I, I love. That's my favorite favorite rap album. I'm, you, I'm, I'm aging myself. Obviously, that's where. That's, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, I can do the same thing. But uh, okay. But we wanna. So we wanna rip off a a NAS a NAS a NAS beat to all the young kids that we made it ourselves. <laughs> And then put some, some uh, just lots of Terminus DB, Cowduck references, um, yeah. lots of subliminal marketing that's not so subliminal. That's it. Okay. Get some Kubernetes in there. And we're, we're oh, there. no, yeah, we'll definitely elbow Kubernetes <laughs> in there. We'll try to get Guinness to sponsor it as well. Um, so everyone, you have that to look out on for the horizon. Uh, seriously, Luke, we can talk about that whenever you want. Um, and your rap video will be coming out tomorrow. I'm particularly proud. It's loaded with double meanings and references. Um, and I've asked me thinking, and let's, let me get your feedback on this. I think in the future, oh, and what I might do is that instead of waiting to, to launch the video, that at least take a look at the lyrics with the speaker to explain some of the double meanings. Cause a lot of times it's just not going to make sense. Some of them are completely just absurd, but other ones like have, have a bit of thought behind them. Um, so anyway, I look forward I, to it. I'll see what I can decipher at least. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's part of the history. This is like the Rosetta Stone of hip hop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. That being said, we have a tradition in all of our meetups. We've got an amazing guy who you met in the beginning. And Luke speaks Spanish, by the way. He knows how to say I'm tall and he knows how to say I'm the killer um, or the bullfighter, if you want to look at it that way. But Angel is our man in the shadows who's drawing all the wonderful stuff that our speakers are talking about. So Gorka, can you share our screen so Luke can take a look at what Angel did? So we got a lot of different things in there. Um, wow. We got the St. Patrick's Day reference in many different ways. We got lots of cool multicolored shamrocks reflecting different kinds of uh, all the different things that you were talking about going into databases. Anyway, Angel is extremely, extremely talented. Oh, wow. and this is always this great. Is always you funny. have a tourist there. It's one of the things I didn't mention actually. One of the things that went long in our in our great history was we actually shifted from GPL to Apache 2.0. So it was a little bit traumatic, our, our change. So it's great to see the open source in there because it's an important part of our identity. That is a really important part of your identity that we didn't get to. And I think that's something that that's something in our community that we do value a lot is, is the open source approach because it, it comes a lot, once again, certain mentality, certain culture. Uh, Gorka, can you share the second picture that I just sent you? Because this is a, uh, Angel always is, is very detail oriented. And so he sends me the first version and then always wants to show me another version that he's made a couple of changes to. But yeah, I think the open sourcing is huge because that's, that's, uh, I mean, it comes with, you know, the, the good sides and bad sides. Was there, was there a major debate for you in TerminusDB when you're getting started about like, hey, open Big source time. or not? There was, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you know, in some ways it's just easier to go for SaaS and just mm -hmm. be a SaaS tool or cloud-based tool that's proprietary. Um, but at the same time, you know, we emotionally felt like we should be open source. There's been no top 10 database released that's, not open source since 1992, Microsoft Access. So it's very hard to make it in database world without being open source. It's kind of like a baseline, but still it was kind of a bit of a debate for us. And then what license to go with is very important as well. So we started with the GPL with V3, and then we changed to Apache 2.0, just because a lot of people in our community were saying, you know, I want to embed this database. I want to build something on the back of it. And I'm worried about copyleft. Uh, mm -hmm. from GPL. So we, we actually just changed the whole license, which was a very complex process because anybody who had contributed code, we had to go and get them to sign off on saying that they're mm -hmm. going to willing to shift. And everybody was. It was amazing how, uh, you know, willing people were to kind of say, yes, we understand the rationale for this and we'll go ahead. Mm -hmm. But uh, we, we kind of felt like we were leaving a good friend behind when we left the GPL. Yeah. Because we're There's hippies a, at heart. It's no coincidence that... In 1992, something else was happening, which was NAS recording Illmatic. I just checked. Um, I didn't know that off the top of my head. I'm, just, I'm not going to try to front me like, of course I knew that. It says here, yeah, 1992 and 1993. Anyway, Luke, fantastic conversation. Enjoy the rest of your St. Patrick's Day. Um, and we'll be seeing you on Slack. We, still, we, got a pl we got plenty of questions that we didn't get to, so we're definitely going to continue the conversation there. I really want everyone who's watching or going to be listening to this later, you definitely need to put a Luke in your life. Um, so do it soon. And the Luke abides. Luke, Bye-bye. Take care. Yeah.